It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Brett Baer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Inflation keeps pumping up gas prices to record levels, and Republicans keep urging President Biden to incentivize new oil drilling and production and ease regulations. Instead, the administration's gone the other direction. They, they propose increasing regulations on child care, on housing. These are all things that are pinching the personal incomes and the household budgets of, of rank-and-file Americans. We speak with GOP Senator Todd Young. I'm Lisa Brady. The mass shooting in Buffalo spurs renewed debate about red flag laws. These laws are necessarily written in sort of broad terms because it's hard to be specific as to every possible sign of violence. And I'm Cole Lyle, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's something we're all dealing with. Inflation. We used to come here once a week, have breakfast, do our shopping. Now it's it's once a month because it's a luxury. I can't afford it. And it's not just the cost of her breakfast at a diner in Pennsylvania. Record gas prices are changing shopping habits. I try to do everything in one area. If I'm coming here today, okay, what can I hit in Milford today? Walmart, this, that, and the other thing. Because after this, after today, my shopping's done for the week. No more, go for a ride, go here, check this out. Can't do it. Especially with regular gas nationwide averaging more than four fifty a gallon, even higher in Pennsylvania. Certain areas are... 469 where I live it's 489 and it goes up 14 cents since yesterday it went up which is a lot of money California has it the worst now over 6 bucks for a gallon of gas and record diesel prices are helping raise the cost of food and many other things we buy as I travel around Indiana this is the number one issue by far I hear about Senator Todd Young is a Republican from Indiana. It's a form of taxation, and of course, it disproportionately hits those on fixed income. So people of modest means and uh, our senior citizens. So the wicked thing about inflation is, is once you're in an inflationary environment, it's very difficult to find your way out of it, which is why you want to do everything possible to avoid it. And this could have been avoided. Just about every Republican in the U.S. Senate I know was warning the administration not to pass a $1.9 trillion bill when our economy was growing rapidly when they came into office. But they did. And now we have inflation. So the administration needs to forthwith indicate that they are no longer supportive of uh, a Green New Deal far left energy policy. Uh, at least for the time being, they need to say we're going to open up the oil and gas spigots domestically and create incentives so that those who, who pull the oil and gas out of the ground can build the infrastructure uh, to uh, places where uh, the oil and gas is needed. None of that is overnight. So even if you can increase right. drilling capacity, uh, President Biden says in his first year, there's more oil production than in the first year of the Trump presidency. So he says domestic oil, we're, we're producing a lot. He blames oil companies for not using their leases. And the president says Republicans are doing nothing to help the gas price surge. I mean, that's that's what he keeps saying. Yeah, we should import more things uh, that are 
uh, more cost effective, more inputs uh, for our manufactured products and so forth. That means reducing tariff barriers on some of these items uh, in, in the middle of an inflationary environment. We also need to lighten up regulations, something that we did during the Trump years and when Republicans were in control of Congress. Instead, the administration's gone the other direction. They propose increasing regulations on child care, on housing. These are all things that uh, are pinching the personal incomes and the household budgets of, of rank and file Americans. But the administration has not offered regulatory relief. They're going the other direction. Senator Young is up for re-election this year and will face Democrat Thomas McDermott in November. Young did not have a Republican challenger, so there was no primary fight at a time when former President Trump is having a big influence in primary races nationwide, shaping the GOP agenda in the attempt to take back Republican control of the House and Senate. We've been locked in decades-old policy agendas. The far left has, has moved further to the left over the last 40 years. Uh, The Republican Party was inattentive to the needs of a lot of Americans who felt like they were being left behind in this era of globalization and and their communities were being hollowed out. And so President Trump spoke to a lot of that aggravation. It's now our job, uh, now that President Trump is no longer in office, uh, to write the next chapter of that script. And that's what I've done back in Indiana is I've spoken directly to these concerns. I've offered concrete solutions to improving the material circumstances of working Americans. And that's uh, what I attribute. The fact that I didn't have any primary uh, opponents to is the fact that uh, I'm actually out there offering constructive solutions to these uh, challenges that President Trump helped, uh, uh, you know, exploit to uh, political victory. Now, some have written about how you were not yet endorsed by the former president. Is that a con- I mean, you obviously didn't have a primary. Is that a concern to you at all? I think the proper narrative there is I was able to stand on my own two feet. I think that's the headline that uh, is is worthy of, of uh, underscoring here, uh, which is, you know, Republicans can make their own name. Uh, they can build their own reputations and their own uh, reservoir of trust with those people they represent, not have to rely on the currency of former presidents uh, if they are putting forward concrete solutions to today's and tomorrow's challenges. Another big issue that leaked Supreme Court draft opinion on abortion, looking like the conservative justices might overturn the Roe v. Wade ruling and let states restrict abortion. You at a fundraiser recently faced pro-choice protesters. There was that vote in the Senate where there was not enough support for the Women's Health Protection Act the Democrats put forward to try to make abortion legal nationwide. Where are we going with this issue and how important is this one going to be in the campaign in your view? You know, with with inflation permeating, uh, you know, everyone's lives and and uh, border security, such an incredible challenge, which in turn in my state is leading to uh, a, a major epidemic of uh, opioid use and uh, a war over in Europe. I'm not sure it will play a really significant role in my own state, but it no doubt will in in some areas around the country. Uh, this is an incredibly important issue where in the end it's it's going to lead uh, should the Supreme Court publish this opinion, which we all believe they will, which will overturn Roe versus Wade is finally the people will get to decide. Uh, they will be able to register their opinions about how we properly balance 
the concerns we all have uh, uh, about women and their health and their personal freedom on one hand, and the right to life of, of the unborn on the other. And, and these are not easy issues. But on the left, they say, look, that the court's taking away a right that's been allowed for people for 50 years. That's the argument, that the court is taking freedoms away from women. Of course they're saying that. That's, that's a, a, a reductive argument, uh, overlooking the fact that uh, it will be through our state legislatures and through the normal democratic process and, and consultations with U.S. senators and Congress uh, men and women that will develop new laws that will protect women and also protect the unborn, rather than having you know, our, our unelected federal judges uh, make these laws for us. So uh, it's just going to require some civic engagement from the American people. I, I happen to have faith in the people. Uh, those on the far left do not. And I will say, not every Democrat is a member of the far left. We saw this days ago when uh, some of my colleagues bravely said, no, I mean, this isn't saying this this uh, pro-abortion bill that was brought to the floor of the U.S. Senate, it would not only enshrine Roe versus Wade in, in federal statute, it would expand it uh, up until, uh, you know, a short time before birth. And, and, and that really is extreme. Another big issue is in the Senate this week. More U.S. aid for Ukraine, $40 billion worth of weapons and humanitarian assistance. Some Republicans say it's too much. GOP Senator Bill Haggerty tells Fox. It's as Senator Paul said, we've got crises erupting across the nation in my home state. Mothers can't get baby formula in Knoxville. You've got grandmothers and mothers that have sons and grandsons that won't come home because of fentanyl overdoses, because of the illegal drugs that are flowing across our southern border that President Biden will not protect. You've got crime running rampant across America. But those objections were overruled by other Republicans joining Democrats Monday night, advancing the bill, setting up a final vote soon. Senator Todd Young was among the yes votes. I'm on record uh, saying time and again that that we need to support the brave uh, and, and heroic resistance of the Ukrainian people so that we can uh, deter other aggressive regimes around the world, whether they're in Beijing or, or Tehran or, or or Moscow, from grabbing territory, violating uh, the rules of the international order, because they will at some point look at this and say, if the, the United States and the West are soft, they'll they'll move on other pieces of real estate, and that in turn will impact our ability to trade, our ability to peacefully carry out our affairs. So with that, I I, I think that these monies, um, there's audit requirements, reports to Congress, uh, diligent oversight need to accompany them. And I was glad that in the Senate version of this legislation, as it's taken shape in recent days, these features uh, have been embedded in the legislation. So we give Ukraine money and we make sure there are very strict audit requirements and regular reports to Congress and, and uh, oversight mechanisms. All right, last question. You mentioned Beijing. You are working across the aisle with the Democratic leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer. You have a bill that would have the U.S. working to out-innovate and out-compete China. Discuss where we are on that. I mean, we've had tariffs in place since the Trump era, and they're still in place, correct? We have. That's right. We had tariffs in place. We put some export controls in place during the Trump era. And what we're trying to do is make sure that we have the necessary investments outside of the DOD, where they waste so much money, 
but the necessary investments in cutting edge technologies so that uh, we can outfight the Chinese Communist Party if ever necessary. Hopefully we can prevent a war uh, by being more technologically sophisticated than they are. We see in Russia, they're using hypersonic weapons. The Chinese have tested uh, advanced hypersonic missiles. We don't have defenses for these things. We also need computer chips. Any auto assembler in the state of Indiana can tell you that because they don't have enough to assemble all, all the automobiles uh, that uh, our consumers are asking for. We cannot rely on communist China or other countries for these computer chips, anything with an on-off switch requires them, including our missile technology. So incentives to locate these chip fabrication plants across the heartland of America will also be included in this legislation. Would, it, would this also potentially lead to more pharmaceutical products being developed here and manufactured here? Would this lead to more manufacturing in the U.S., less in China, ultimately? It would lead to more manufacturing in the U.S. and, and less in China uh, as a byproduct of this legislation. That's not the primary purpose, but it will be something, you know, when we're developing the cutting edge technologies here, then you're going to have investors wanting to invest in production capacity next to where the uh, technologies are developed. So in that sense, yes, it will. Republican Senator Todd Young from Indiana, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Cole Lyle with your Fox News commentary coming up. While an 18-year-old awaits his next court appearance accused of targeting black shoppers in western New York, President Biden and the First Lady paid a visit to Buffalo on Tuesday. Jill and I have come uh, to stand with you. And to the families, we've come to grieve with you. The president meeting with victims' families and paying tribute to their loved ones by name. Saturday's supermarket shooting that left 10 dead and three wounded remains under investigation. But police say the suspect, Peyton Gendron, appears to have been racially motivated, posting a lengthy manifesto. In America, evil will not win, I promise you. Hate will not prevail. And white supremacy will not have the last word. The president also calling again for keeping assault weapons off streets. New York Governor Kathy Hochul calling for a national gun policy. Police say the Buffalo suspect had a gun he purchased legally, but modified it. You couple that with an illegal magazine from another state you brought in literally minutes away in Pennsylvania. You know how easy that is? There were potential red flags about Gendron months before the manifesto. Last year, he was investigated for a potential threat against his high school. But state police say in the end, no one requested taking firearms away from Gendron and New York's red flag law, which could have stopped him from buying more weapons, was not used. The problem with these red flag laws is that they're a very sound approach to dealing with some of these cases of mental illness, but they require an intervention. Jonathan Turley is a Fox News contributor and law professor at George Washington University. They require someone to pick up the phone and to notify authorities, because at the end of the day, you need a judge who's going to issue this order. And that is a process that works well if someone is institutionalized, particularly for a longer period of time. It works less well if you have 
shorter term duration events or episodes like this one where someone is investigated, but ultimately no action is taken. So the red flag laws are only as good as people put them to use. Somebody at the end of the day has to call up the police and say, I have a concern that this is an individual who could be a danger to himself or to others. Yeah, I mean, constitutionally, how broad can these laws be? In other words, you know, how specific do the threats or actions of the person need to be in order for these laws to come into play? Or does it really vary that greatly by state? Well, all these laws have a fairly ambiguous standard dealing with someone who is believed to be a risk to himself or to others. The protection is the involvement of a court who is going to be looking at the underlying allegations. The thing to keep in mind is that this is the suspension of a constitutional individual right. And so under cases like Heller, you have a right to possess weapons So you do need that court order. But in terms of what is necessary to trigger it, these laws are necessarily written in sort of broad terms because it's hard to be specific as to every possible sign of violence. And instead, these are laws that leave it to a court to determine whether someone should be temporarily denied possession of weapons because there is a reasonable belief that they present a danger to themselves or to others. Hmm. I mean, if one of these laws is triggered, if you will, how complicated is the process to get your guns back or to clear your name? Does that vary by state as well? It does. And it can be difficult because once you lose those weapons, the burden is on you to show that uh, you are no longer a risk. That can be something that is challenged. Uh, the same people that raise the issue, can express ongoing concerns. Once somebody has their possession of weapons suspended or removed, there is a practical presumption that this is someone who has been a risk and therefore may continue to be a risk. So I think it is fair to say that once you lose possession under these laws, you do have a burden that can be difficult administratively to shoulder. But once again, you know, these laws, as we get these cases going to court, um, we're going to see, I think, a further articulation of these standards, because at the end of the day, you are still talking about suspending someone's individual constitutional rights. Have these laws been facing a lot of legal challenges so far? They have, but some of the laws that have been challenged are sort of offshoots of this. You know, the red flag laws are really designed to quickly remove weapons uh, from someone who may be a risk to themselves or to others. There are other states that have more onerous requirements in terms of getting these types of weapons back. There's also laws uh, that bar people that have criminal convictions, even convictions that may be misdemeanors. So all of those types of laws have generated some litigation. Uh, But in terms of red flag laws themselves, I think that constitutionally they're pretty solid. I think that even those people who are strong advocates of the Second Amendment tend to agree that you can have your 
possession of weapons suspended. The disagreement is just simply the standard that has to apply. It's not enough for someone to simply say, I think this person is a danger. There's got to be some articulable basis for that. Now, in this case, you had uh, a question of a threat. But if there is a, a record that was inconclusive as to whether a threat had been made, that's probably not going to be sufficient for most uh, police departments uh, to move to suspend weapons. On the other hand, if you have somebody who clearly made threats, acted in an unstable way, that probably will be sufficient, at least for a temporary suspension. The U.S. Supreme Court has an upcoming decision on a New York gun law. It requires someone to show proper cause in order to get a concealed carry permit, so to legally carry a hidden weapon in public. The New York mayor has been expressing concern about what the court might do, especially after the leaked draft opinion on abortion. How significant could this concealed carry ruling be in terms of the bigger picture on gun rights nationwide? Well, this is one of the matinee cases of the term. It is a case that really most people have put in the top three in terms of its implications. Uh, the reason is that it's been a while since the court handed down a major decision on gun rights. Uh, you had the Heller decision, which defined uh, the Second Amendment as an individual right of possession of gun ownership. You had McDonald, uh, which extended that right to the states. And you have a very strong and robust statement supporting the Second Amendment. So the New York case is really the next generation that many of us have been looking at. That is, to what extent can you restrict collateral rights, uh, collateral issues related to gun ownership, including uh, a concealed weapon? Um, I expect that the court will rule against New York and will further strengthen the Second Amendment. Uh, the New York law basically requires people to show good cause to have a concealed weapon. And there's this question of why a lawful gun owner needs to prove that they have the sort of moral standing and the good cause to have a weapon in public. Does or should the Supreme Court treat all cities and jurisdictions the same in terms of gun rights? For instance, do your gun rights change if you enter or live in a densely populated area? I think the court wants to see uniformity for citizens in being able to carry weapons absent some extreme or special showing. And so I think you may see this shifting of a burden, but I think it will bring greater uniformity because right now there is a patchwork of laws governing concealed weapons. And this case may create a single unified standard. The plaintiffs in this case uh, are a shoot a New York shooting club that had a case the year before, and that involved a law that the New York politicians passed and stated with great bravado that they were going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said fine and accepted uh, certiorari, accepted review. And after the case was accepted and argued, New York suddenly decided to rescind the law and just basically pull out of the case. 
And it irritated many of the justices who felt that New York was gaming the system, that they were telling voters one thing, but when came time to actually review the law, which many of us viewed as unconstitutional, they just pulled the rug out. There was a statement made by a few of these justices saying, we will bide our time, but we think we should have just gone ahead and ruled on this law. Well, they then accepted a case by the very same plaintiff organization. And so I think in some ways, New York could not have played this worse. One other question about existing gun laws, and that is California's ban on semi-automatic gun sales to people under age 21, recently struck down by a federal appeals court. But the court allowed the state to keep requiring a hunting license to buy shotguns or rifles if you're under 21, not in the military or law enforcement. What signal does that send to states? Or is it just another, you know, example of the patchwork of gun laws across the country? Well, there has been a long tradition for hunting licenses, because that is not just the possession of a weapon, but an activity that has been regulated historically. What really the court was balking at in California is once again, this isolation of particular guns and limiting who can have them. The key here is that these are all people over 18. They are adults and they were being denied the ability to have these assault-like weapons. Um, The problem is that the AR-15 is the most popular rifle in the United States. The reason is that it tends to be uh, modular, that is, you can change it. You can change the configuration of it. That's what makes it so popular with so many gun owners. And the states get into trouble when they try to ban particular types of weapons. Many of the weapons that California doesn't try to limit have a higher caliber So we once again get to the political dynamic here. A lot of politicians, particularly in California, in Texas, uh, you've had this issue come up of we're going to ban assault-like weapons. And when they get to court, the courts say, well, why? I mean, why are you banning this particular weapon and not this one over here? Uh, What's different about this other than how it looks? And that has been a real problem. The states have not been able to make out that case. Jonathan Turley, George Washington University law professor and Fox News contributor, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Cole Lyle. What's on your mind? As President Biden considers forgiving student loan debt, there are important factors to consider, including the impact on our military and veterans who earned opportunities to pursue an affordable college education. For most veterans, the choice to join the military was foremost about serving our country. But for many, it was also about receiving benefits to attend college without debt. Earning the GI Bill meant giving up years of their lives, serving in dangerous jobs and situations. The student loan debate is leaving out the impact cancellation will have on the veteran and active duty community. That's probably why in a recent mission roll call poll of 6,202 veterans, 77% opposed student loan forgiveness. College is expensive. 
and it's only getting pricier. But since an undergraduate degree, even if unrelated to one's subsequent career, has become a barrier to entry for most professional career tracks, most prospective students feel like they have no other option. They become saddled with student loans that don't go away in bankruptcy and can delay important life events like buying a home or having children. But there has always been a path to free higher education. For over 80 years, military service and the GI Bill have enabled millions of Americans to pursue college debt-free or nearly free. Serve in the military and the federal government will help ensure you have the resources necessary for success without burdensome debt. Already in college? Join the ROTC. In the military and want to use the GI Bill for grad school? Use tuition assistance. Not sure what you want to do out of high school? Enlist and earn your GI Bill. Already have a degree or want to make the military your career? Transfer the GI Bill to your kids. I joined the Marine Corps two weeks out of high school, deployed to Afghanistan, and earned my degree using the GI Bill. I know firsthand the sacrifices service members made to earn that benefit. They all made a choice. In most cases, joining the military meant receiving the GI Bill and the chance to go to school for little to no cost. They earned that opportunity. Every year, hundreds of thousands of Americans earn the GI Bill as an incentive for their service. It isn't something freely given, and it isn't something any civilian can feel entitled to. For veterans and active troops who want to pursue a debt-free education through honorable service, policies that forgive student loan debt minimize their efforts and experiences. Canceling student debt is a nuanced and complex policy proposal worthy of debate. And yet, like many broad policies, the veteran community could be affected by unintended consequences. Joining the military is not the only way to attend college, but it's a vital option for service members who want a degree without having to saddle themselves with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. It was certainly the right of those who chose not to serve to find different options but it should not be at the literal and figurative expense of those who served our nation. Serving in uniform takes commitment and courage. And as our nation's leaders discuss student loan forgiveness, we hope they adequately consider the life-changing decisions service members make for our country and honor their service in this debate. I am Cole Lyle, Executive Director of Mission Roll Call and a Marine Corps veteran. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it. On demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.